And we're going to be looking this morning, uh, continuing in our series in Mark's Gospel, and we're going to be considering the way of the kingdom. See, Jesus and his disciples are on a journey. We're all on a journey, aren't we? We're all at different points in our relationship with Jesus, different stages in life. And Jesus was taking his disciples on a journey to Jerusalem where he was going to die on the cross and rise again. And it's like there's this clash of cultures. Jesus is showing them the way of the kingdom showing them how his kingdom works. But then the culture of what they're used to comes into conflict with that. And it's just like there's this clash of cultures. And it's like Jesus is speaking a different language to his disciples. You see, this is going to be the third time that Jesus has told his disciples of what is going to come ahead of him. That he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be crucified and he's going to rise again. This is third time in warning them. The first time what happens, Peter, good old Peter, our mate Peter, says, calls Jesus aside and says, um, Jesus, no, this isn't right. This isn't how it's going to work. <laughs> Imagine how awkward that is. Imagine rebuking Jesus. Oh, that would be cringe, wouldn't it? Jesus, what does he respond in saying? Get behind me, Satan. How awkward is that? The founder of the church, who Jesus said he'd build his church on, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. How gracious is the Lord that we follow? Even when we fall short, he uses us in great ways as well. That was the first time. The second time Jesus told them what was going to happen, they start arguing about who is the greatest. And it's just so, so ironic that Jesus is talking about his humility And his sacrifice. And they're talking about greatness. Who's greatest in the kingdom? And I think Hannah in a couple of weeks. Hannah Schoen is going to be coming to share about that. And this is the third time he's told them. And they just still haven't quite got it. There's this clash of cultures going on. Now I've been in Scotland for nine years now. Nine years ago, I moved up here to study theology at university, which is where I met my lovely, beautiful wife, Abby, who was studying as well, and we fell in love, and the rest followed after that. I got married and all of that. Um, And when I first moved up, um, I remember going to my uni halls of residence, and I met my first full-on Scottish flatmate. His name was Stuart. He was from the borders. He was from Hoik which I thought was Howick when I read it. He's like, no, it's Hoik. And um, I was hearing all these phrases and words all from the northeast. Fit like, quine, loon, ken, all of this. I didn't have a clue what anyone was saying. And I'd ask Stu a question and I'd say to him, I'd be like, Stu, what, what time does the shop close? I need to go and get some milk. And he'd say, uh, sorry, Don, I don't ken. And I, I thought he was saying, I don't care. So I was like, oh my goodness, who are these Scottish brutes? <laughs> I only asked what time the, the shop closed. And I'd ask him another question later, and he'd say, I don't care. I'm like, he doesn't care? <laughs> and it's like sometimes, as we approach God's word, it's like it can feel like a different language. It doesn't always make sense with the culture that we're part of. But through time in the word, through time in prayer, in worship, learning from each other, Jesus is teaching us his kingdom language. 
He's teaching us his culture of the kingdom. So let's have a look at Mark chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 32 to 45. You're very well organized here. The Bibles have already gone out, which is great. And it's also going to be on the screen if you'd like to read it from there. So from verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, Well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. So we're considering this morning the way of the kingdom that Jesus sets out for his disciples and for each one of us here this morning. And we're going to be considering three key things I think we can pick up from this passage about the way of the kingdom and what we can learn from that. And the first thing that we see right off the bat is that in the kingdom, in the way of the kingdom, Jesus is our pioneer. We read right at the start, verse 32, that they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Jesus was leading the way. And this is almost like a turning point in Mark's gospel, where Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem and his leadership and his plan is made even clearer. It's like a honing in moment. And we're part of a culture of self-made heroes, aren't we? Of independence and project self. That we need to make ourselves the best version of ourselves we can be. Now, I've, I've just been part of the Leadership Academy this year, which has been incredible. I think you've got a couple of other students here this morning. Whoop, whoop, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and as part of our year, we did something called the Miracle Question, where I think once or twice a term, we'd go out on the streets of Aberdeen and we'd go and meet people and we'd ask them this question. 
If God could do one miracle in your life today for you personally, what would that be? And I remember going out with Allah and we were around and about little um, Belmont Street area and the Priory. And there are heaps of people kind of mingling around and we had a few good conversations here and there. And then I saw one guy come in and I thought, brilliant, I'll ask him this question. So as he came by, I said, good morning, can I ask you a question? And he was like, sure, far away. I said, we're both just from a local church and we're asking people this morning, if God could do one miracle in your life for you personally, what would that be? And from the way his face turned, I knew this wasn't going to go the way I thought it was going to go. And he just said, if God could do a miracle in my life, he said, I'm my own God. I make a living for my family. I have my own home. I do things in the way I want to do things. My life is great and I am God. You're like, right, (laughs) okie dokie. And I just thought, is that why you look so miserable, mate? That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) You see, the point is, Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our pioneer in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, he goes ahead of us and leads the way. I mentioned Hebrews 12 just just as I got up. And I think I'd I'd like to share some more of that because this paints that picture wonderfully. It's a very powerful passage. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me just pause there. I think Andy was sharing last week us cutting sin out of our life how it can so easily entangle us as we seek to to follow Jesus and and run that race how it can just hold us down and hold us back Ali can I borrow you for a minute (laughs) imagine Ali having to go across to the other side okay we'll we'll go across the other side and sin is just grabbing him and holding him back I used to play rugby with this man, and he's a very good rugby player. But even as he'd be sprinting through, if people were grabbing at his shirt, and it would, it would hold him back. But up again, up again, I'm going to work him hard. <laughs> if you were to run to the other side with determination, and sin's gone, look at him go, look at the joy on his face as he runs free. Look at the calories being burned, the exercise being done. <laughs> nice step, very good. You know, we're to cast off the sin that so easily entangles us and we're to do it together. This passage starts off saying, as we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's us, that's you. We're the cloud of witnesses to throw off everything that entangles. I've lost my passage now, I'm getting too excited. Where are we? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's the part I want to hone in on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. Maybe there's some of us here this morning who don't feel very pioneer-like. Maybe you don't feel like a leader. Or can I say you're in the right place? Because in the kingdom of God, there is one pioneer and his name is Jesus. And as we follow him, we get caught up in his pioneering nature. 
If you don't feel like you're that kind of leader, don't worry, don't stress, because we follow Jesus, who is our great pioneer. You see, me and Abby have felt this call to go and plant a church in Greenock. It's been a seed that's been there for years and years to go and move somewhere, to share the gospel, to establish a new church, to see people come to know him. But we've never had the details of it. We've, we've known it would be Scotland. We've had a heart for Scotland, but for years it's been like, but where, Lord? We'd visit Perth. It's like, no, we don't feel like this is for us. No, nothing wrong with Perth. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Dundee. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. We didn't feel like it was Dundee. But we still felt like we should just step out. And so we've started the official discernment process with the Vineyard Network, even not knowing where that would be. But as the months had gone past, it was like God started placing Inverclyde on our hearts, and Greenock in particular. And as we visited, he made it even clearer that that was going to be where we were going to plant. He sent various different people giving us words that this was going to be the place. He sent us our own personal sense of conviction. And even just, it comes down to, there are people who need to hear Jesus in that area. There are people who need to hear about Jesus. There are people who need to be saving. There needs to be another spirit-filled church in that area. So why would we not want to go and start that up and follow Jesus on this call? But it does not rest on our leadership and our strategy and us being pioneers. This is a kingdom where Jesus is the pioneer. Such a simple verse which we can so easily just skim over. The disciples were heading to Jerusalem. It was not their idea. Jesus was leading the way. In this kingdom, Jesus is our pioneer. So my question for you guys this morning is, Where do you need to look to Jesus instead of yourself? Where do you need to fix your eyes on Jesus? Where do you need to put all your attention on him? Where you've been looking to maybe yourself for some answers or others? Maybe it's at work. Maybe you're in a situation where there just does not seem to be any logical explanation to what's going on or any solution the situation you'll find, you found yourself in. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you're in a difficult relationship. I'm not sure. But can I just commend Jesus to you this morning that he is our pioneer and our perfecter. And as we look to him and he shows us a way forward in his kingdom, he also perfects us. He perfects us each step of the way as we follow him, as we seek to honour him. He is our pioneer. So where do you need to look to him instead of yourself? Secondly, we find that the way of the kingdom, if Jesus is our pioneer, if that's the first thing. Secondly, we see in in the kingdom of God, Jesus is our perfect example. See, in this passage, the disciples still don't quite get what Jesus is doing. 
They were carrying all these assumptions and expectations of who Jesus was, the type of king he'd be, and what he'd be doing. They knew he was the Messiah, and they thought from all the Old Testament prophecies, from all the words that have been passed through the Jewish and the Israelite community, that the Messiah was going to come as a king in authority, and he would overthrow the ruling power to establish the perfect rule and reign of God on earth. And there's a sense that that is true. That what Jesus did on the cross was remarkable, that he rose again as king, that he conquered sin, that he conquered death, and that he will return again as the warrior king to set all things right in justice. So they were right, but they didn't have the full picture. They didn't see how Jesus was going to bring about this victory. They didn't see that it was going to be brought about through suffering. They didn't see that it was going to be brought about through the cross. They didn't see that it was going to be brought about through serving. They didn't see that is how his kingdom was going to be brought about. You see, James and John, who said to Jesus, after he'd... um, warned the disciples of what was going to happen. James and John approach him and say, Lord, we have a question for you. Can you do whatever we ask? Well, if someone was to ask you that question, you would definitely think, uh, I'm not sure about this. Jesus very, very graciously says, well, what, what is it that, that you want? Tell me. And they say, well, can we sit at your left and your right in your kingdom?" And so that was a a desire for status. The position of left and right in his kingdom of the father was a prominent position. They were asking for a position of authority, a position of status, and a position of prominence. And you see, James and John, their characters as we go through the Gospels, we see their very fiery characters. In Luke chapter 9, we read, That when Jesus wasn't welcomed to minister in a certain village, what did they do? They went up to him and they said, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven on these guys and to burn it up and, you know, establish your kingdom? It's like they didn't quite get how Jesus was going to bring about his kingdom. And this was another example where they didn't, they weren't quite on the same page as Jesus. It was like he was speaking a different language. Jesus responds to them saying, can you really be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Can you really take the cup I'm going to take? And basically what Jesus is saying there is about suffering and about what he was going to have to go through on the cross. And he's saying, you guys don't realize to have status in the kingdom, to have prominence in the kingdom, to follow God's call in that way. There's there's such a close link with suffering. It's not a comfortable message to hear. That in discipleship, in following Jesus, there can so often be suffering as we come into contact with a culture who does things in a totally different way. And they say, yes, Lord, we can. Of course we can. They, They probably don't quite understand exactly what Jesus is going through at this point. And what they might have to go through in following Jesus. 
But again, Jesus in his grace says, you know, you are going to be part of this. Part of my kingdom, you are going to join in my suffering. But that state, that position of status is not for you to claim. It's not for you to grab hold of. You know, Jesus continually, in a gracious but strong way, corrects the wrong assumptions that his disciples have about him and about how his disciples work, how his kingdom works, and how his disciples were going to play a part in that. I love how in verse... Where are we at? Verse 43, Jesus just says to his disciples, not so with you. So he paints a picture of how leadership and how people had worked up to then, which was that the rulers in that time seek authority over people. They're not there to serve in their leadership. They're there to seek authority. And Jesus says, not so with you. If you want to be great, it comes through serving. It comes through humility. It comes through giving stuff away in his kingdom and not holding on to that position of authority. But we can so often strive for that status and position and prominence, can't we? So when I graduated from university, I got a job um, as a gardener, cutting grass, cutting people's hedges, hiding up and I thought it was just going to be a temporary job for a wee while until I found a, uh, a an office job something more prestigious than just cutting people's grass for a living but God kept me in that job for three whole years cutting grass tidying up people's gardens just basic work but in service of other people and he taught me so much in that time and I'd be seeking for various different opportunities and it's like each time God would say no I have you in the right place I have you in the right place I have you in the right place and then an opportunity came up after three years um, with a Christian social enterprise called Aberdeen Straightway who some of you might have heard of and the position of general manager came up in that in that workplace and with very little experience in a majority of the role the trustees took the punt and decided to give me that that role and if I hadn't have stayed for three years in that humble service of other people doing really basic work this would not have been a natural transition into straightway because I'd done a lot of the work that was already involved. I'd met a lot of the trades people that were going to be involved. I'd learned a lot of the skills. And it was actually an incredible incredible um, transition from one role to the other. But I found in my heart that um, with the position of general manager, something in me felt prideful, like... I'm fi- I've finally made it. I'm no longer chief grass cutter. I am a general manager. <laughs> and, and how often is that the same with us, that we seek that title of status, whether it's in our work, maybe even in church, maybe even in other avenues, that we want that position of prominence. Jesus sets out a new way in his kingdom. Philippians chapter 2 is a wonderful passage where we read this. 
And Jesus and Paul is talking about how we conduct ourselves in our relationships with one another. And he says this, uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our perfect example in the kingdom. Isn't it wonderful that our pioneer in the kingdom rolls up his sleeves and serves each one of us? We do not follow a Lord who lords it over us in authority. He is our perfect example. And what he expects from each one of us in our relationships, he models perfectly. And that's what he's trying to show to his disciples. He's like, guys, you see in the culture one way of doing things. Not so with you. Not so in my kingdom. We're to serve one another. We're to love one another. We're to lift each other up. We're not to claim positions of authority over each other. It works differently here. And this is modelled so well at City Church. Can I, can I tell you guys that in this whole process of church planting, I have been amazed at the humility and serving of Chuck and Taron and our leadership team. You know, as we were praying through the details and considering more seriously planting, Someone um, who had planted a church a long time ago had warned us. He said to us, guys, just to let you know that as you start to negotiate this move and talk with your leaders about it and talk with your church about it, it could get a bit awkward. You know, it could feel like a power struggle. It could feel like there's competition and that you're going to take away resources or take away the church's finances and all of this. And I just thought... You have not been to City Church before. (laughs) I just thought that could not be further from the truth. Chuck and Taryn are like, get out of here. (laughs) Take our people, take our money, take our resources, take our policies, take whatever you want. There's no sense of competition or striving. It's totally the opposite. Imagine if you were at your workplace and you said to your boss, say you, ran an, say you were part of an IT company, and you approached your boss and said, do you know what, in the next six months I want to go and launch my own IT company, and it's possible that I'll take people from the company, it's possible that I'll take resources, it's, you would get shut down at that point. In your contract, everything would be written to protect the company's assets, to protect the company. You'd probably put on, be put on gardening leave or all of this sort of thing. How different is it in the kingdom of God? Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> How different is it in City Church that we serve one another? That as we have this vision to go out and plant 21 churches by 21, right at the heart of our church, we have a leadership who is not concerned about our own assets, who's not concerned about looking after number one, are willing to open up their arms and say, go.
and be blessed. We have been absolutely floored by that. And that's what Jesus calls for each one of us in our relationships with one another to have that same attitude, that same mindset in serving one another and lifting one another up in his kingdom and for his glory. Then thirdly, we see in this passage the way of the kingdom. Firstly, that Jesus is our pioneer. Secondly, that he is our perfect example in serving and we're called to serve one another. Thirdly, we see that Jesus is our ransom. Jesus makes it very clear that he came for two reasons. What were those reasons? Let's have a look. Verse 45. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came both to serve and to give himself up for us as a ransom. And for those of you who might not be familiar with what the word ransom means, we use it quite a lot in a church context. But the background of it was to do with slavery. And if there was someone in, in slavery for their master, for them to be ransomed, for them to be taken out of that situation, a price had to be paid in full. And with that price being paid, that would be their ransom to take them out of the ownership and the authority of their slave master and into this new situation, which is totally different. That is what it means to, to ransom someone. And so when Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom for many, that is just summarizing the gospel. That is that without Jesus... We are a slave to sin. That we are caught in a life that is not worth living. That we are under the lordship of sin. We are under the lordship of death. But what Jesus does in dying for us on the cross, in opening up his kingdom for all of us to enter, is that he pays the price in full for everything that we have done. For every sin we have ever done or we could ever do, he pays the price in full and he did it on the cross. And back to what I said at the start, he did it because he wanted to. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He did it for all of us. And I think Chuck, I don't know if he's shared it here before, but a while ago he shared a story out at our site in Verruri of how when he was younger, he went to the toy shop and he saw what was the toy he was desperately after as a kid. I don't know what it was, but he said that he just desperately wanted that toy. So what he did is he took a note of the price of it. And over time, he just saved his money bit by bit, every single penny, every single pound, until he could go to the toy shop. And he took his handful of coins and he, and he put them down on the counter. And he said, I'd like to buy that toy, please. And the man quietly counted up all the coins, got the receipt and did a big stamp saying paid in full. And Chuck took away that toy and I imagine the joy on Chuck's little face. (laughs) That is what Jesus has done for each one of us on the cross. He has paid the cost of everything we have ever done, all the sin, all the shame, 
There is not one bit left which is outside of his grace, outside of what he's done for us on the cross, in dying and rising again. And he's brought us with him, paid in full. Paid in full. There is no condemnation for any single one of us in this room because of what we've done when we come under Jesus, when we bring our lives to him, when we enter his kingdom and we follow him. There is no condemnation. It says earlier in the passage, verse, um, where are we here? Um, verse 30, one of you will find it before me. Verse 33, when Jesus says, we are going to up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. How often in our life with Jesus do we end up feeling condemned? That is just not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus was condemned on the cross so that we can have freedom and fullness of life. And that is the way of his kingdom. Romans chapter 8 paints that wonderfully. I'd, I'd really encourage you to go home and read that. That for those in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. If you're feeling ashamed about anything, if you're feeling condemnation about anything, I want to encourage you now. Let's just bring it all before Jesus this morning. Every last bit of it, let's bring it before him. And let's receive his forgiveness. Let's receive his freedom and let that condemnation be gone in Jesus' name. Because in his kingdom, there is a lightness. There is a freedom to follow him. There is joy even in suffering. I love Paul, how when he speaks about what he went through for Jesus in planting all these churches, that he was shipwrecked however many times, that he was caught out at sea overnight, that he experienced beatings, betrayal, all of this. But it was with joy. It was with joy in his kingdom because there's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no guilt. We can bring it all before him in his kingdom. Jesus is our pioneer. He sets a new way. This is his kingdom. Jesus is our perfect example. He doesn't ask any of us to do anything he has not already gone before us and done already. And also Jesus is our ransom. So we can have that newness of life and that freedom. Why don't we stand?